Welcome to the Haber Show podcast. This episode is about a better you to ring in the new year. Really excited to have JJ Reddick on as the guest this week as we talk about New Year's resolutions. We taped this on New Year's Eve while he was on the road with the 76ers, and we went deep on his surprising but thoughtful decision this August to get off social media for good. We talk about why watches are like heroin to him, how trades affect group texts, and yes, the Sixers are on Slack. I love that. And he opens up about how Twitter and Instagram comments do affect him. You can listen to him at the JJ Reddick podcast at The Ringer, but you won't find him on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or any of those social media channels. To find out why, let's just roll out the tape. Without further ado, on with the Haber Show. JJ Reddick, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad we finally worked this out. I ghosted you about three weeks ago, so I apologize. Yeah, you said that you uh, your phone was out of battery, like you did you you lost your charger. Yeah, There's what what happened? There? No, this is I, I I am notorious for not charging my phone and for just kind of barring people's chargers here and there. So it was like a game day, and uh, it was a road game. We like flew back to Philly. We were I was just spending the night in Philly. I was supposed to do it, do the pod with you that morning in Philly, but I didn't ever use someone else's phone charger to to charge my phone. So I didn't actually get a hold of you, I think, till like 6 p.m. later that day when I got back to Brooklyn. <laughs> and actually, TJ McConnell, I've given him a, a, a Christmas gift. He's my buddy. He's like my little brother. So I've given him a Christmas gift the last two years. And uh, for Christmas this year, he bought me uh, five uh, phone chargers and a, and a car charger so that I have one in literally every place that I could ever be. Did you get one of those like cell phone chargers that, uh, the portable chargers where you don't even need a cord to be plugged in, you just charge it up and then you can attach it to your phone like a case. I know what you're talking about. They're a little bulky for me. They don't fit my skinny jeans. <laughs> I got really thick, um, thighs. Like I just have big thighs. And so I hate, I, I always go with like the, the cell phone case that is very thin and it just, it probably doesn't do anything. And I drop my phone and I have to uh, get get a new phone anyway. And it defeats the whole purpose of getting a case. But now I've made the commitment of getting one of those thicker, like otter box yeah. covers and they do the trick in terms of protecting your phone. But I feel like, uh, as the ever tightening pants, uh, these days, it just doesn't look good in your pants. So I held out on the uh, on the the case for about six years, and I probably went through about fifteen phones. <laughs> and I would go months at a time, not even be able to like text. There'd be shards, like you know the the Bill Hader uh, sketch where he's talking about the shards of glass uh, in his thumb as he's texting. Like that was me. Yes, I just refused to replace the phone at some point. And, uh, and then my wife finally convinced me to get a case. And I've actually had the same phone now for like, whatever, I don't really get the updated iPhone. So I'm, I'm like on an iPhone seven. I don't know, but I've had the same phone for like two and a half years. It's been great. I want to talk to you about that, but first we'll do a little mental calisthenics or a podcast calisthenics just to get your mind going during this fog of Christmas time and New Year's uh, in the NBA schedule. So first of all, congrats on your latest milestone of 10,000 points in the NBA. JJ Redding getting his 10,000 point here at Wells Fargo Center. You recently did that the other day. So congrats on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. You have just over 10,000 points and a total of 188 players assisted you to get there. Everyone from Gilbert Arenas to my guy Ish Smith to Gustavo Ayon. 
And I'm not asking you to name all 188, but I'm wondering if you can name who has assisted you the most in your career and how many players in your top 10 assisting you en route to 10,000 points you can name. Wow. Uh, I'm going to guess Chris Paul. Yes. Chris Paul is 633, number one on the list. How many others can you name in your top 10? Uh, I will say Blake is in my top 10. Number two on the list with 276. Um, I will say that Jameer and Turk are both in my top 10. Jameer is number three. Turk is number 11 on your list. So not in your top 10. I know. No, wait, no, wait, no. Sketch that. Uh, He's not in your top five. He is actually number seven on your list. Scratch that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. All right. Yes. Um, My bad. I'm going to say, I know it's early in in the, but Ben, is Ben in there? Ben is number four. Oh, wow. Okay. How many do I have right now? You have five. You've named five and you're missing number six, number seven. No, sorry. uh, Number five, number six, eight, nine, and 10. All right. Joel Embiid, is Joel in there? Yes, the handoff uh, for the mid-range yeah. jumper. Yep, he's number you know five. What's interesting, though, I don't think those were scored as assists like back 10 years ago, where you would do a handoff and a guy would take a one or two dribbles and shoot. Now mm. they score him as assists. This whole tally may be different. It may have been different had they scored Did you have that with Blake and uh, with who, I definitely who had it be? with Blake. Like I you're saying. White too. Dwight, yeah, we, I was going to say, know, Dwight. There's a couple years there where, you know, Dwight and I had that little el- elbow action going. I can't remember what we called it, but it might have just been elbow too. But, um, yeah, I don't remember them being assists for Dwight, though. And now, you know, they're assists. All right, uh, let me think for a second. Dwight, by the way, is Did number you, eight on your list. I figured he was in there. Jeez. Can you give me a hint? <laughs> All right, so number six on your list is the same position as Dwight and Joel. DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. What does an assist from DeAndre Jordan look like? Like in your head, when I say that he had an assist, what was it? Rifle action or throw and go, whatever you want to call it. I throw it to him and then I go get it from him, dribble hand off, one dribble or dribble hand, you know, or get it back from him and just yep. turn and shoot. And yep. probably, he probably had a lot of offensive rebound, kick out threes. He was great at that too. Number um, nine to number 10. Okay. Teammates. Oh, where were, where were, where were, where was Current where, 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 and a throwback with Orlando. Current TJ McConnell? Yep, yep. He gave you not okay. just uh, iPhone chargers, my friend. <laughs> what does the TJ McConnell uh, assist look like? Uh, rugby's. We call them rugby's. So the, the sort of the point guard drives down the middle on like a sort of transition or delayed transition mm-hmm. and turns and flips it back to you at the three-point line. And, uh, and then, you know, probably just driving kicks, man. Catch and shoot stuff, me coming off pin downs. Number 10 in Orlando. Yes. Um, Might be in some circles considered like the greatest hand, ball handler or passer of all time. I was going to guess Jay will. Yeah, yeah. I was going to guess white chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. How fun was that playing with him? I loved it. So the year that he played the most for our team was my fourth year. That was the year we lost to the Celtics in the conference finals. But our bench that year was so fun. We had Ryan Anderson, Jay will, me, I think Beatrice and and Gortat. The French Jordan. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And we, 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 I think our net rating was pretty good. And that was not something I paid attention to back then. <laughs> I liked our, 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 our team that year. We were, we were deep. I feel like Jay Will would be an amazing guy to watch in the social media age. Like he was before his time, right? Yeah, he was. A lot of guys are like that, though. I mean, 
you could go back and think about the 1980s Celtics Lakers, you know, the stuff Charles Barkley was doing. We missed out on a lot of Twitter conversations uh, <laughs> because the technology did not exist. But yeah, that Jay Will would have been a great one. He also would have been a great one if he had his own Twitter account and uh, oh. and actually responded to comments <laughs> because you see, like, there's certain guys, like, if TJ's like this too and he's hilarious, but, like, a fan will just say something very just, is the word innocuous? I don't, what, the word is just like, it's not innocent, but it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. T McConnell, you look like a sixth grade teacher, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And TJ will just say, you know, like, I don't know your policy on swear words, but TJ used to be like, you better shut that, you know, whatever. Jay Will <laughs> was the same way. You know, he would just go over the line. I remember one time we were getting out of a taxi at a restaurant in Chicago, me and him, and this drunk woman and her husband were getting in the taxi and she just made like a comment. It was inappropriate. I can't remember what it was. It was inappropriate. And I thought that, I thought Jay will was going to rip this, this lady's head off. And, and I'm like, <laughs> so to see him with, with Twitter comments would have been, Oh, oh my God, give me the popcorn. Give me the popcorn. Yes. And, and this is something that um, I'm guessing you have a love hate relationship and you decided like, this is it. I'm done in, in March, we sat down for coffee here in Charlotte. It was a great yeah. coffee, um, but the co the conversation was something that I think we were kind of ahead on or ahead of the curve is cell phone addiction, Twitter addiction, yeah. social media addiction, like all of all of that stuff. Ironically, I think we both had our phones on the table while we were talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but um, in fairness, in fairness, we have young kids. So yes, uh, yes. we kind of have to be on standby sometimes when we're not with our, our family. But yeah, it's like a crutch. Um, that was it's a, a great conversation. It was, you know, it was kind of, I, I don't know about the social media part of it, but over the last, let's call it year or two, there have been countless articles, you know, I don't think as many studies as there should be, but sort of what this phone addiction means socially, developmentally. And, you know, for me, it was the social media part of it. It ultimately was like, well, you know, what, what benefit sort yeah. of is, is this giving me? And it just, uh, you know, you just listed pros and cons. It was basically all cons. And then a large part of that was mindlessly scrolling Twitter and Instagram. And then an hour later, you're like, I just wasted an hour of my time. I could be doing other things with that. Even I would catch myself with my uh, two boys, they're four and two, and I'd, I'd be, you know, I don't get much time at home. And especially during the season and you know we'd be in Knox's room playing with uh with cars and I'd, I'd be like well wait a minute what? I've just spent the last 10 minutes on Instagram what am I doing and um so you know now I, I try as much as possible when I am home to just sort of leave my phone in the bedroom and and be be present with the boys so we talked in March and it was already coming to a head where you're like I haven't done it yet but I have plans to cut off from everything, just get rid of social media, delete all my apps. So in August, you actually did, got rid of Twitter, you deleted your multiple Instagram accounts, but it's like you're, you had a public one and then a private one, and you had like, I think earlier you purged your watch account, I, I, or I, I don't I, even know what I to describe I had gotten that. off of it, and but I never deactivated it, so I did, I yeah, so there was um, the Twitter account, never had a burner Twitter account, and then I had... My public Instagram account, which I which I got rid of, my watch account, which I got rid of, and that had been inactive for like a year. And then my private account, which is the only really account, like the social media part that I, I miss for the simple fact that, and I was actually having this conversation with a buddy of mine that writes for Esquire the other day, and he's thinking about getting off social media too. And 
we were talking about it and we both kind of said like, he doesn't have kids, but I'm like kids. So I miss pictures of like my wife's Instagram story is all time. So especially if you like my kids, which I actually happen to like my kids. So <laughs> I miss that part of it. And every now and then I'll just grab her phone and be like, Hey, do you mind if I, you know, go on your Instagram story and just see what you've been posting because it's always funny. And then the second part of that is like, and this is something that I, I really do miss is like sort of like the design aspect, whether it's like fashion or architecture or um, travel, like hotels. And like, I think you get a little bit of inspiration from some of those accounts. And I kind of miss that. Um, yep. and, and that's really it for me. I wrote a story, I think it was in September for, for BR, and it was a lot. It was a lot of information that I had to distill down into a story. But one of the things that came up was how it acts like a drug. Uh, you know, cell phones are trying to get your attention. And there was a big, the thing that turned me on to this was a big 60 Minutes segment with Anderson Cooper a couple years ago, where they described these, these people who left Silicon Valley because of kind of these immoral practices by Google and Facebook to just hijack your brain or hack your brain into, you know, mindlessly scrolling through Twitter. Like you said, we're all guilty of it. And I don't think people realize in New Year's when they're like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym more or I'm going to eat better or eat less or, you know, drink less. Like they don't think about social media as being a drug or an addiction that they probably need to wean themselves off of. And it's something that you right. just said, I need to go cold turkey like this is not good for me. And I think in the same sense, like alcohol, where too much of alcohol is obviously a bad thing. We recognize that it didn't used to be thought of like that back in the Mad Men yeah. days. It's something that I actually have done. JJ, I looked at like the new iOS has a screen time app or I guess. Yeah. A, yeah. And I looked yeah. at one one week. I looked at my measurements. I'm just going to say it. I was on Twitter for 25 hours one week. I'm going to do the math on that. And that that's a, like just, uh, just basically three hours a day and some change, almost four hours a day. That's ridiculous. It's And I was traveling that week. So like I, that's my excuse. Yeah. And I, yeah. and when I'm traveling, I just, I'm always in lines. I'm always waiting I'm on a plane and I'm going to scroll through Twitter. But I realized that spending a full day, 25 hours, a full 24 hour day of every week being on social media or on Twitter, on my phone uh -huh. is awful. And this is someone who has written about the ill effects about social media addiction and wrote this big story. So I said, I'm going to give myself a 30 minute limit every day on Twitter and Instagram and JJ. It's changed my life. Like I didn't realize how mindless. Wait, so you, so how, how how long have you have you had this limit in place? Two weeks, I think. I decided a couple of weeks ago. Like I'm gonna try out like okay. a 30 minute Twitter. Just like when I was a kid, my mom only let me watch 30 minutes of TV. So like I watched like Nickelodeons, like uh, some. I think I watched uh, what was it? My after school show that I loved. It wasn't Double Dare. Uh, Wild and Crazy Kids. No, it was Wild and Crazy Kids. Yeah. <laughs> or or guts. I don't even know which one it was, but or Legends of the Hidden Temple. But I always thought my my parents I recognized always rooted for those barracudas. I always rooted for the barracudas <laughs> and Legends of the Hidden Temple. The uh, <laughs> the purple parrots. You didn't root for the purple parrots or the silver what is uh, it, the silver snakes. Well, you know it's it's interesting though. Like there's so many. Oh, so it's like the addiction part of it. You know it can take so many forms, and um, you know people talk about drugs or alcohol or even sex. And I felt like I had addiction, an addiction to, to watches. And, and in some ways, you know, my watch account was, was almost like pornography to me. I mean, being able to sort of scroll through and I, I would spend so much time just on that account. So that was like the first step for me. I, 
you know, Wait, what do you a, mean by it was like pornography for you? Like unpack I mean, that like, for a sec. No, I mean, it was like, um, there's like, in some ways it was like a, a form of idolatry in the sense that I was placing this material thing yeah. and I would like, I would lust after it. I would, I had to have it. Wow. You no. Know? And, um, and yeah, and, and it was taking up not just time, but like, like some of my emotional capacity. And like, I, I was, you know, I was really serious into, and I still look, I still love and appreciate watches, but I, like this was last August, I made the decision, so this was a year and a half ago, I had made the decision, I'm going to sell all of my watches, which I did, and sort of detach myself a little bit from that. So that was sort of like my first step in terms of getting rid of, you know, social media and all these different ways to sort of fill time. And that was, uh, that was hard. But I, I always, like people ask me now, like especially people that know I'm into watches and they're like, what watch are you wearing? And I'm like, I don't, I don't wear a watch. I don't have any watches. And what, and what does that them, feel like? like? It like, is like, does, it is, is that a, f- no, I, but here's the thing. Sometimes I, I look at it, like I'll see like a buddy of mine in Philly brought the new Rolex GMT to a game and he's like, try it on. I tried it on. And I was like, Oh yeah, I, I would love to buy this. But the thing is, if I bought that watch, it would be one step. And before you know it, I would be, you know, out on the streets, basically asking for heroin. That is all obviously, <laughs> a, you know, an analogy there. I'm not going to actually still get heroin, but that it, it was like a drug to me. And I know that I can't go back into that. And in some ways that was sort of my drug, right? And in some ways, you know, the social media likes and comments that becomes a drug for people. And their mood swings based off of what someone says on social media. So like, I'll give you an example with Twitter. I would never read Twitter after a game. I just, it was such a toxic place. So I would never read comments, but for my podcast, I would try to get people liked about a pod, whatever. So as I'm reading comments after, you know, a pod would come out, an episode would come out, there would be comments about basketball interspersed in that. And, I would get so hung up on something someone said. And I'm like, what, what is, what, what is the point of that? Like, what is the point yeah. of me taking that in and like internalizing that? And then like not being able to let go of that. Like it doesn't, it, there's no benefit to me. So obviously I, I had two events too, that sort of put, like finalized this decision. Like I've been talking about getting on social media for a year. And then, you know, last February, there was a video that I had done for the Chinese new year. And you know, the backlash for that, obviously, I, I, you know, had made a mistake and stumbled over my words and I apologized for offending anyone. And uh, so there was like backlash for that. And then, you know, I, I went on my wife's, like, she still had a public Instagram account and I was reading comments of like what people were saying. I was like, holy, you know, yeah, this is crazy. People are talking about raping children and all these different things. And I'm like, all right, well, she needs to delete this account. And then... When wait, I had wait, the they were going into your wife's mentions and say, t- what, where did the raping children come from? People would go on like pictures of like my kids or like our friends' kids and talk about raping the kids. Oh These are like three and four year old kids. And so I'm like, all right, well, you know, th- this is, uh, you know, my, my son, he's four, but he's, he can read and he goes, you know, he knows how to use a phone. So I'm like, he's two years away from being on my wife's Instagram account and reading comments. Like, that's just reality. I mean, you know, he's, I'm like, he's tech savvy. So I'm like, all right, she needs to delete that. They're really, we need to get 
sort of that space taken care of. And then when I had that car incident, I went on my podcast and I shouldn't have told the story on my podcast. I regret doing that. But there was like this random backlash, like people just didn't comprehend the story because of how the headlines were aggregated. And so I'm like, you're leaving all these things open to interpretation. The reality is, you know, whether these comments are happening on my account or another account, they're happening. And people are reading this and people obviously take things as fact. And so you're just like, all right, well, I'm going to eliminate as much as I can. I'm going to control as much as I can of that. And I was like, that was sort of the last straw for me. But, you know, that was not the reason that I got off social media. I'd been wanting to do this for a year. And then I was just like, let's do it. All right. So how, how has this affected your lifestyle? Because I came across this study in the, in the story I did for Bleacher that there's a Stony Brook study that looked at NBA players and their late night tweeting and, and looked at like an association. They looked at all their tweets of NBA players, verified accounts and analyzed how they did the next day after late night tweeting between 11 PM and 7 AM in the morning, local time. And like, People yeah. need to understand that like NBA players are nocturnal in general is that they play they, they're they're playing games and getting back to their hotel at ridiculous hours in the night. But there was yeah. they did find in that study that points per game dropped by a point one point one rebounds per game dropped by point five field goal percentage dropped about two percentage points. And I just want to note here, JJ, I want to note for those out there, you are having a career high in scoring after you deleted your social media. <laughs> I don't know that there's any correlation. (laughs) I was never much of a late night. I didn't tweet a lot. I mean, the things I would tweet were generally either things I had to tweet or promotional stuff for the podcast. That's ultimately probably the last year or two of things that I tweeted. And then occasionally I would have a snarky comment specifically about the lack of uh, payments to uh, college athletes, but that's a whole nother story. So I think number one, emotionally, it's been a lot better. Tommy Alter, who, helps me out at the ringer and, and works for the ringer and has done my mailbag pod three times with me now. But like we talk about this all the time and there's almost reality, like real reality of what we experience on a day to day basis, interacting with people offline. Yeah. Offline. And then you, you have your news sources, you get your news, these are real things that are happening. And, and then there's this like alternative reality of things that happen on Twitter or on Instagram, and they become kind of this insulated story on these social media platforms. And it's happening, but if you're not on those platforms, then it's not part of your reality. And um, it's freeing. I think it is a, a healthier lifestyle to minimize as much as you can your social media exposure. Like with this new limit that I have, JJ, like my Twitter usage, my Instagram usage has obviously been cut, but also the craving has been cut. Like I don't feel like I need to scratch that itch nearly as much. And then you begin to realize that 95% of your time on these apps sometimes is just mindless scrolling. And you realize I've been reading some books about this. And I think we just kind of have to realize as like a society that like time is a non-renewable resource. We don't think of it it as something like like in economic terms like that, right? But we can't get back time. We can't. So why do we not think of time as like the most precious resource? So if we're just looking down in our phones and our kids are like doing something awesome and you totally, you can't get that back. You can't get that moment back. And also I just think the emotional toll of what you said, like you see a negative, you go for 25 points one night, you come back, you look at your Twitter feed to like look at your comments about your, your podcast at the ringer. 
and someone says like some negative thing, even after a good game, even though you're not looking for it, that comment is going to stick with you, right? Like that negative yeah, energy yeah. can't be healthy. The other side of this in terms of the health. So I'm going to use sort of my own personal experience. So you're talking about time and you're talking about what you're filling your sort of brain and your emotions with. So if you're off social media, if you're not doing these things, then what are you replacing that with? Obviously, I've mentioned the time with my kids. Yep. There's three other things, though, that I've like really, especially over the last like three or four months, like I've really tried to, to start doing more. Number one, read books. So my goal, which you mentioned uh, New Year's resolutions, I always write down some things that I would like to accomplish or things that I would like to sort of see my life move in the direction of. And one of the things is like this year, I would like to read 24 books, two, two books a month, right? Mm-hmm. So reading, uh, what am I reading right now? How to Change Your Mind, Michael Pollan, right? Great book. So reading books. I started journaling again, and I'm trying to teach myself how to meditate. So that's what I'm filling my time with instead of scrolling through Instagram and social media. And I think the long-term benefit, to me at least, of doing those things will be certainly a net positive. The only thing I'll say is I am in a position with, with my job where I don't necessarily need to be on social media. So I understand whether you're running a business, whether you are like your career is as, a, as an influencer your career is as a media personality, like or a journalist, let's say, there is a need to be on social media. Like you have to do that. But the inherent part of that that bothers me a little bit is self-promotion. And it's unavoidable. And it doesn't mean someone's a bad person or is wrong for doing that. But that is the inherent point of yes. being on social media. And I'm I'm even when I was on social media. And people that are listening to this may not believe me. I was never comfortable with that part of social media. It's why I never, I mean, I never posted a lot. My post frequency was never a lot. And I, I try to do it like for the podcast, obviously. Um, you know, I was trying to get, <laughs> recently I was trying to get a car deal so I could have a driver back and forth between Brooklyn and Philly because I've been driving myself this year. And the cars, car companies were all like, well, you're not on social media, so there's no benefit. To oh. <laughs> that's fine. So, oh, so like, that's yeah, what it's so, become. I mean, it's like, again, like for me to then just post something, it's like, again, it's, it's a form of promotion. And, um, and so for me to like not have to do that is, again, it's another aspect of just the, the freeing nature of not being on that platform. Well, I remember you played with Keon in, in Orlando, right? Keon Dooling? Yeah. 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 Sure. He, I talked to him for this story and he kept telling me like, I wish I had gotten on social media sooner because of all like the endorsement deals that I, I turned down. And it's like, yeah. that, that is a very, you just mentioned one that like, that is a very real byproduct of being on social media is that you can have sure. these endorsements. Oh dude, I, I, I got a couple deals in LA that were nice deals and it was based on, you know, you're going to do some promotional stuff for us outside of social media, but then you're required to make these time tweets at these different junctures yeah. and we'll pay you. And it's like, well, how do you, at the time I was like, how do you turn this? You can't turn it down. It's just, it's just really good money. It was stuff that I believed in. So I did it. And, um, and you know, you miss out. I, I certainly probably miss out on that now, but you know, I never, I didn't even consult. I'm a CAA now. I'm like, I didn't even consult with them prior to deleting my social media, I was just like, I'm off. 
whatever. I was actually in the middle of doing negotiations for a deal at the time. The company still did the deal with me, but I, you know, they just changed sort of what my requirements were. And they obviously didn't involve doing a social media post. Do you have teammates that are like, man, I wish I could be as not brave, but (laughs) courageous or like, I wish I could delete Twitter or I wish I could delete Instagram. There's been a couple that have mentioned, mentioned that to me. I don't want to get, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. <laughs> There's certain reasons why maybe a younger player who isn't married uh, would, would want to be on Instagram yeah. that I understand. <laughs> so. Rumors, rumors have it, JJ. I've heard, I've so heard through it. the grapevine. Yes. But, you but know, even, but even like still. The, like the sli- but you know what? I would say this too. Like that is one thing. And I realize now, you know, I'm 34 and I've been in the league a long time. I feel like I've always been sort of been able to network with people. And so like, I have a good network now and I don't, I don't need the network, but like I did use social media to, to slide into people's DMS in the sense of like, Oh, I want to, I want to meet this person after a concert. You know, I want to meet, I want to meet the lead singer of a band after a concert and you'd reach out to him on Twitter or you're going to a restaurant and I want to meet the chef or I want the chef to know I'm coming. And, you know, you, you reach out to them on Twitter and, and you have a conversation with them. You exchange cell phones by, you know, now you text them instead of, you know, direct message or whatever. But I, I would use it for that. Not the more nefarious version of DMs, but but certainly for reaching out to people that I, I wanted to make contact with. But there's I, other ways to do that. I just uh, looked up my DMs and we did we did DM each other. But it was about nerdy yeah. basketball stuff. So it wasn't like, hey, Tom, can you uh, score me two tickets to this restaurant or anything like that? But it was. Right. But it was a way for you actually complimented me. You said, I appreciate your thoughtful articles like yours instead of the typical players are greedy and stupid and system is broke. Not to like expose your DMs. That is not. How how, how long ago was that? What what, what, do you have the uh, date? 2011. Oh, that's that's (laughs) that's mid lockout. I was. Oh, man, I was. That's what I first got on Twitter, too. And that honestly was the reason that I got on Twitter. Just I held out for a couple of years. And I was like, oh, I, I want to follow all these NBA writers and these NBA personalities. I want to be up to date on any rumors in real time about the lockout. The lockout was like an interesting period, right? So that's why I got into Twitter. And um, it's interesting. Like, I'm not surprised that the, the timestamp of that is 2011 because I actually, you know, I would, this is a separate conversation, but like the narrative right around athletes, specifically NBA players, has changed so much in the last seven or eight years. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It has. It has. And I, um, I think Adam Silver has a big deal with that. Adam, to try to Michelle, bridge the gap. Um, yeah, Adam, Michelle, and you've, and you've, again, LeBron, you know, we are a copycat league, but the way LeBron has taken ownership, you know, other players have, have followed that. And, um, and really, you know, whether it's the Players' Tribune or a podcast or, you know, how they present themselves, you know, everything now around the NBA is players just, you know, basically are seen as as owners, which is, is a great thing. I had a thought the other day when Dario and Rocco were traded. I have still text chain or tech group chats with my friends from ESPN. Like we still maintain yeah. that. What happens when a trade happens in the NBA? Do you have to like... Do you have like an official team group chat on, on text? And then you like, do you have to drop the, like, is there a ceremonious, like, Hey man, sorry, but uh, you're gone now and kick them out of the group chat. Like, how does that work? So there's really two forms of the group chat. 
so there's like the text form. Yep. And then there's last year we used GroupMe for the Sixers, and this year we're using Slack. And so like Jared Bayless, when he got traded, he texted Lump, who who runs the, the Slack channel, and he's like, you, you got to ax me. It's time to ax me. So those guys get deleted <laughs> off GroupMe. It's so sad. And, and the Slack channel, it's, it's sad. But then we're just like, whatever, on the group text. So like Trevor Booker, who was on our team for like two months, he still texts our, our 76ers group chat. No way. Um, yeah, he still he still texts it. So there's still a way to. And I actually think when when maybe for Christmas or something, Roco. What it was? Yeah, I believe it was Roco sent a text or something like Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Christmas. It was one of the holidays. I can't remember. Oh man, did you do some like te- crying emojis back to him? Like, oh. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember the Booker text that we get though. I mean, I can't even share. It's. It's just wildly inappropriate. We had a group chat in LA with the Clippers, and we always said, like, anybody ever got a hold of it? Uh, well, that's be ridiculous. That is uh, that is not unique to NBA players. I will tell you that it's yeah. it's one of those yeah, sure. it's one of those things where uh, I do think that even though social media can be bad and phones can be addictive and uh, take time away from family, etc., I do think there is value in team chemistry with group chats and stuff. But I, it doesn't replace actual interaction. The phone bag. Well, we can talk about the phone bag another time. But there there are instances where I'm just like to my buddies outside of work or inside of work. I'm just like, hey, we need to get rid of these phones. Like just just put them in your bag or, or put something on top of it, flip it over, like turn it. Like we need to like actually focus on this thing. And I'm guessing NBA we've, players. We've done it. We've done a couple, we've done a couple uh, team meals with the coaches where we do the phone bag. A couple nights ago when we were in Salt Lake, we stayed over after the game because it was like an eight thirty game local time, nationally televised. So it didn't end until late. And I organized like a little dinner at, at Balter's Osteria, which is the best restaurant in Salt Lake City, one of my favorite spots on the road. And uh, and like eleven guys came to the just players only. Eleven guys came. We didn't do a phone bag. And, you know, some guys, the quieter guys, you know, stay on their phone. But by and large, like, you end up having great conversations. Four of us stayed till, like, 2 a.m. just chatting. Isn't that nice? I don't know. It's 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 really nice, but it's it's hard to tell a grown man to be like, hey, give me your phone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little weird. I think it's a little weird. I do think that it is notable that you're in your 30s getting off social media. Like, I think in your 20s, it might, like, early 20s coming out of college and trying to make a name for yourself in the league – and having that kind of voice, I think things might have been a, a little bit differently. And also, dude, as someone who grew up a Carolina fan and went to Wake, like you have probably absorbed more hate over your playing career than anybody, especially at Duke. Like I I'm, I'm imagine your ability to, to compartmentalize the hate and focus on reality. You had honed that at Duke uh, for four years and coming into the NBA and dealing with the social media uprise, it still was just too hard for you to to like be in those conversations or looking at comments. I'm pretty well versed in dealing with animosity. Um, (laughs) I am, I am, you know, but the thing is like, it doesn't, I don't know how to say this, but like it, there's some things that are so stupid that they still make you mad. If that makes sense. Is it factually incorrect? Like, like, yeah, it's just like, if if there's not, if there's not an underlying truth to something, like I, I have a decent level of self-awareness. I'm by nature fairly self-deprecating. And so if there's an underlying truth to something, whether it's something written about me, let's say in a real article, or it's something said to me in a, in a team meeting by a coach, I'm able to sort of say like, okay, you know what? I got to be better, whatever. That's fine. But some things are so stupid or so out of left field 
that you're like, is this person serious? Yeah, and, but and you're those are the to hardest like to shake off. You, those, like, but, but they, that's what I'm saying. Is that you're like trying to wrap your head around. And, and so like the thing like last February, like for me, who, you know, I've been as outspoken as anyone, I feel like in terms of the social justice movement, in terms of you know, NBA player, I, I talk about this stuff on my podcast all the time. And, you know, to be called a racist, I'm like, oh man, like, that really eats at my soul. That's the furthest thing from the truth. And I understand where that was coming from, of course. I, I, that doesn't lack the awareness to understand what people heard on that video, but it still, it still was hard to sort of internalize, like, that's not truth. You know what I mean by that? And so that was, that was tough, and that's one sort of extreme example. But yeah. then you sort of get to, like, the other examples that would happen and pop up, and you're just like, what? you'd spend three hours in a day, like, why, why, why is this, per this person? And it's not even like random people. Sometimes it's just like, could be somebody in the NBA world. And you're like, how, how is this person, why how does this person think this? It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's a new space that like, I feel like there's a, a bell curve with this, like you early on social media use or Facebook. And there are good things that come from social media. Like, I do not think my family could have raised $600,000 for ALS research if it weren't yeah. for Facebook. It, like there's no right. way like there's no way that I could have gotten that much money raised without the power of just network on social media. And it's but like anything, like some amazing things have come about because someone was drunk. Someone came up with an idea or in conversation or said something that like normally their inhibitions would say you shouldn't say that. But they said it and then a great thing happened. And like we have a new invention because of it or uh, yeah. bridges are made because someone, you know, clanked wine glasses or whatever, haven't had a drink. So there are good things that can come out from these quote unquote vices. But there are. And I would also say like for like a feed or House of Highlights is a great example. So House of Highlights you know, is a good thing to come out of social media. The content is so good. The content yes. is so authentic. And I know Omar and Omar is just a real person. He's a real dude. And that sort of feed is to me is so few and far between. So there are positives yeah. and you know, the, the, your ALS fundraiser, the one before the ice bucket challenge, there's, there's another two examples of good stuff that comes out of social media, but do you hold on to that and sort of let the other stuff outweigh it? I, I don't know. It's hard. It's, um, it's hard. It's hard. There's no really does it get, right answer. As someone who went cold turkey, does it get easier? Point. No, I don't even think about it. And with that, with that, everybody, <laughs> don't go follow JJ Reddick on Twitter. Don't do it because he does, he's not on there. Uh, usually I give uh, people um, their Twitter accounts here or their Instagram you, accounts, but you can follow him in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform. How about that? I'm going to give some shameless self-promotion. I will admit but you can go subscribe to the, the JJ Reddick podcast. I was just going to say, but you do have this <laughs> podcast, an amazing podcast you've interviewed. Uh, I don't know about amazing, but it's, it's been fun for me. It's been a lot of fun. I, I have some fun conversations on there. So, I'm And not, not just about basketball. So if you want to see a different side of an NBA athlete, not just about what they do on the grind, on the court, I highly recommend JJ's podcast on The Ringer. So anything else before we go um, that you'd like to plug? No. Do you have any other um, New Year's resolutions? I'm curious. 
besides the the 30 minutes a day. So I ran just about 400 miles this past year. Like I like, I like the Nike running app. It's one of those things that, uh, I keep my phone around me for is I like tracking my times. And the year before I ran like 150 miles and last year I did 400. So it's almost a mile a day. I, I basically try to run like three miles every other day or five miles between three to five. I'd like to get that to 500 or 600 next year. And like I listen, you, you listen to Sam Harris's podcast and I find yeah. waking up is almost like therapy when I'm like raking the lawn outside, but I can't listen to podcasts when I run. So I always listen to music when I work out. I never listen to podcasts because I, I feel like most of my mental energy is built into the podcast rather than actual the physical. So like I'd like to run more and I'd like to read more. I'd like to meditate. All those things that you mentioned, I'd like to do too, but also yeah. just work out more and, and try to get out on the road and hit pavement. Do you plug Sam Harris's podcast quite a bit? On no, your pod? no, I don't. But I know so that you listen it. to it. Okay. I plug it all the time on my podcast. If you want to have sort of uh, existential, uh, <laughs> an existential listen about uh, a lot of important current issues, anything from universal basic income to uh, what is consciousness, give Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast a listen. I think it's, uh, it's my favorite podcast. Oh, and, and the discussions about artificial intelligence and what all yeah. that is doing and not just doing now, yeah. but in the future, it's been so good to like wrap your head around what we're about to deal with. As I had, yeah. I just went to like a New Year's party and all the parents of children are talking about how their kids are talking to Alexa and they're one-year-olds, yeah. you know, like two-year-olds. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. this AI thing is already taken off. It's already... the. It's the, the, the cat is out of the bag. There's no, the toothpaste is not going back into the tube. It's really either we're going to be able to understand this and wrap our arms around this and figure it out now, or it's going to be too late because it's already taking control of our lives. Yeah. I do wonder about that though. Like honestly, with the world that my kids are growing up in and what is sort of the long-term effect of that. Even just as something as simple as what we were talking about earlier, like it's, it's been this way for maybe a, a, a few years, but like all kids are used to seeing adults with a cell phone in their hands, constantly interacting with the phone. And what is the long-term effect of that socially and developmentally? What is the expectation when my kids are 12 and 14 and how they interact with technology? It's, I don't know. I don't, something I think about, but you can't predict it because the technology is just changing so fast. I read a headline today in The Economist that 50% of the world, the population, is now online. And a decade ago, it was 20, not even 20%. So just to give you an idea of how fast this is changing and how technology is, is becoming more and more exponentially, in my opinion, accelerating faster than we can even imagine. Go listen to the podcast on The Ringer. Go follow The Ringer. Go follow the 76ers. Go, follow, go to a game. Go watch JJ Redick in the flesh. And, uh, and you'll appreciate him even more. And you see him running around and those, uh, those handoffs from Joel Embiid are still unstoppable. So I know NBA teams know about it and they still can't stop it. So, oh, and good luck on your right corner, man. Yeah. I've been trying to figure I actually, I got my, uh, my first third review from our, uh, from our analytics guy and, uh, I saw my shot chart and it's pretty good. And then there's the right corner. No, we'll get that. We'll get that squared away. We'll On another day, JJ, we'll discuss actual basketball things on this podcast. But uh, always a joy to have you. Um, and thanks so much for taking the time and good luck on the rest of the season. All right. Thanks, Tom. Hope you really enjoyed the interview with JJ Reddick. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the Haber Show podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Go listen to JJ at The Ringer, JJ Reddick Podcast. Tell your friends. 
Tell your neighbors. Don't have to be your friends. Tell your family. Hope you enjoyed the holidays and excited for the rest of the season. Go download the My Teams app in your app store and get all great content from the regionals at NBC Sports and all my articles, podcasts, videos, and TV hits right there in the My Teams app. All right, until next time.